Have you wondered about living elsewhere in your retirement? Well, we have almost daily. No, it's not a simple decision, especially when two people are involved. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about retirement destinations. We live in Brooklyn, New York, having grown up and worked in this area of the country. We're hoping to relocate when we're both retired. For us, it's the weather, the chaos, the noise, and the yearning to be near nature and not within three feet of human beings. <laughs> That's right. In February 2020, we embarked on our journey to find that special place. We spent a week in Winter Park, Florida, which is beautiful, but something said it wasn't for us. As we were planning for the next trip, the pandemic arrived. Jean then gave birth. I gave birth? To this podcast. With so many baby boomers retiring, many must be relocating. Why not connect with and learn from them? Here's a little background about us. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney turned podcaster. I recently retired from a university career practicing higher education law. I love the academic environment, but it was time to do something else. I no longer have to set an alarm, drive in BQE traffic, or work with people who don't always share the same principles. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> you bet I did. I traded all that in to binge crime dramas into the wee hours just a little bit to develop the podcast, to volunteer, practice metal smithing, tackle our possessions. No regrets so far, Jane. I'm not Asian, and as Gil mentioned, I'm not retired. I'm just plain tired. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I'm a law librarian working in a court who loves his job, but we're retired by the time we select our ideal location. We will be speaking to folks from across the street to across the globe who have moved to their dream venues and more. So please stay tuned. And remember, if you know anyone who has moved anywhere for retirement, let us know. Thank you. Bon dia. Today we're meeting Karen Telling, who relocated to Carvoero along the Algarve of Portugal with a population of under 3,000. TripAdvisor explains, formerly a fishing village, the town is flanked on either side by the sandstone sea cliffs characteristic of southern Portugal. The town's horseshoe-shaped bay is hailed as one of the Algarve's best beaches with golden sand backed by whitewashed Mediterranean houses. Now, I found something new, Jean. I don't know if you're familiar with the Wiki Voyage page. Ne- never heard of it. Yeah. Well, according <laughs> to them, there are traces of Roman habitation and naval activity in the area and also a long history of pirate and enemy military assaults on the coast. I love the pirates. <laughs> with a number of naval battles, Carvero profited from the expansion of the preserving industry like the surrounding villages because it created many jobs and wealth at its prime. However, from the 60s onward, tourism gradually became the economic base of the area with many new hotels, apartment complexes, shops and roads and a significant improvement in the infrastructure. It's an attractive tourist spot because of its beaches, golf and water sports. The eroded coast the water quality, the warm climate, and the famous golf courses offer the right conditions to make Carvoero stand out as a quality destination for Portuguese and foreign tourists. So we've done an episode on Algezer, 
which is on the western end of the Algarve, an episode of Tavira on the east side of the Algarve, and now Parvuero. It's kind of in between these two areas, closer to the west, but kind of in the middle. And I think we can actually write a book on the Algarve gene. What do you think? Not writing any books. Not writing any books? Oh, come on. You're good at writing. (laughs) Okay. So a little bit about our guests. Karen was born in Scotland and moved to Hampshire, England with her family at the age of five. That's the same age you moved from Brazil to Brooklyn, Gil. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She married Nick in 1987. And they bought a house together in Nick's home village of Crawthorne in Berkshire. After running their metal finishing business for several years, they sold everything and moved to Carvero in Portugal. As a lifelong animal lover, Karen has rescued and bottle-fed countless of abandoned puppies and kittens. She also supports and contributes to a number of small local charities, including the Algarve Network for Families in Need and Crochet's Blankets, Hats, and Hand Warmers to be distributed by the charity. Karen is now retired and Nick still works part-time. Karen is the author of two books about living in a small village in the Algarve. The first was published in 2021 and it's called Another Day in Paradise. The second is Our Little Piece of Paradise, published this year. Congratulations, Karen. That's, that's great. Yeah, that's so good. And I love that we asked you earlier how many cats you've taken in and you said something like 50 plus. So I think Gene and I just, just lost our brains there for a moment, but <laughs> God bless you. Okay. So Karen, um, we understand Nick is unable to join us today. So please send him our regards. Welcome to our podcast. And we understand you've lived in Portugal for a while. My first question, was there a culture shock when you moved from England? Um, not a huge one. Hi, by the way. Nice to meet you. <laughs> we had been coming here on holiday for a number of years, and we felt that we kind of had a handle on stuff here. We were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we When we moved, we were looking back on it. We were quite naive. It's a very different system coming from the UK. Things like the tax system and the social security system and all of that is quite difficult to navigate. And we actually employed an agent to sort that out for us. And we went to her office and she just had a pile of papers and it was literally, sign this, sign this, sign this, (laughs) have two photographs of this. Next week, I will take you to the offices. And where there was cute, literally queues of hundreds of people standing down a staircase she just marched up to the top plonked our papers on the desk and the people who were <laughs> just you know did whatever needed to be done we came away with all these cards and numbers and everything we needed to have to try and do that yourself i think is challenging that would be my advice is to get someone to to help you through those initial stages once you're actually here in Portugal. Wow, that was before Brexit and it was still that tough, huh? Um, Yeah, the actual arriving and being allowed to stay here was fine. That wasn't an issue. We could just, and we did, put our two dogs in the car in England, drive down through the Channel Tunnel and France and Spain and arrive here. And that, that was it. That's as far as we didn't need a visa or anything like that. But you do need to register with all of these authorities 
And it's all divided slightly differently to what we are used to. It all happens in a, a, a different way. For example, in the UK, we have you know one tax department for the whole country, and they have one office. I think it's currently up in Newcastle. Here in Portugal, every town has its own tax department that you can just go and you take a ticket like you do if you're in a supermarket, you know, waiting at the deli or something. <laughs> you take a ticket, which is called a senya, and you have your number and you hope it's not sort of a hundred higher than the number that's <laughs> shown on the on the screen. Lots of people go and get a ticket, go off and have a coffee, come back and then have whatever they need to do. Things like that, it's a much more personal thing. Rather than just getting a letter or a, a statement, mm -hmm. you can actually go in there and talk to them and say, look, I don't understand what this is. It does waste a lot of man hours, though. And I think the pandemic has made us do things slightly differently, rely more on email. Hopefully that might be one of the few good things that have come out of the pandemic is that they will move to a more online presence for all of these agencies. Okay. So tell us why you and Nick chose the town of Carvoaro. No, and you now you say it. As a, a Portuguese would say it, it would sound more like curver as they cut off the final part of a lot of the words, especially if it's a vowel sound. I you know, most Westerners would pronounce it as Carvoaro. The reason we first came here was purely by accident. One of Nick's, not a colleague, but a, a business acquaintance, a business friend, was chatting to him one day and just said, look, I've just bought a place out in Portugal. We'd never thought about Portugal for a holiday before. Um, but he said, you know, there's a week free in October. Do you fancy it? Just let me know. We thought, well, free holiday. We just had to pay the flights. We'd give it a go. And we just fell in love with the place in a week. Even though it wasn't the most auspicious start, we got lost coming from the airport and our first meal the first night was great, but just there was a bit of a hiccup at the beginning. There was only one parking space. We parked there in front of this restaurant and these two waiters were standing with their arms crossed and looking quite sort of forbidding. And we were a little bit like, oh, gosh, I don't know, are these parking spaces only for that restaurant? Do we need to go in there? And I thought, oh, gosh, they don't look really very welcoming. But we thought maybe we'll play it safe. We'll go in there. The minute we stepped up to have a look at the menu, they came across and they were so lovely. We still know them now. <laughs> and we still sort of talk about that time that that was our very first meal here. There was just something about it. And so many people that move here or come here on holiday say the same thing. You can't quantify it, but there is just something that draws you back here. And I remember we drove through the village kind of seven o'clock in the morning on our last morning on the way to Faro. And I remember thinking, this isn't the last time I'm going to be here. Oh, wow. Interesting. And you didn't think perhaps other areas of Portugal or was it that there's something special about that particular the town for me I think it's it's the town there are some places along the Algarve that if we'd gone there for the first time we'd probably not have come back but Cavoira has the combination of it's small enough that you can't kind of get lost there's there's two roads 
parallel. One is the inroad and one is the outroad. They're both one way <laughs> because back in the old days, you only had a donkey and, and a cart. Mm. So the road didn't have to be very wide. And then there are houses and buildings both sides of it. So when cars and buses and everything came along, they had to make another road. And there was this road. It wasn't a road. It was kind of a kind of an inlet from the sea oh. as a sort of overspill. If there was a storm and the sea came right in, it would go down this kind of gully. And they made that into the road, which then joins up at the top, at the oh. top of the village. And then it becomes a normal two-way road now. Okay. But everything in Cavuero is referred to as it's on the inroad or it's on the outroad. Wow. So, so, you go so if in, there's an accident, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really fun when something like that happens. Fortunately, everyone, th there's always, you know, a reasonable amount of traffic. So people don't really go that fast. What has happened, and I do describe this in one of the books, is a guy parked and wasn't parked in far enough. And then a bus came down. And we were sitting outside a, a cafe. It was about 10 or 11 at night in the summer. And the, the bus just had to sit there. There's, there's nothing you can do. So all the traffic backs up behind them because they don't know what's going on. The bus was sat there for so long. It was dropping people off, actually, from the airport that the people who were staying in Carvera just got off the bus and just wheeled their suitcases to wherever they were going. <laughs> The people who were going to other parts of the Algarve got off the bus, sat at the cafe where we were, and started ordering drinks and food. And <laughs> the guy whose cafe it is, you know, he got this unexpected spurt of business. Yeah. And so they were all sitting there with glasses of wine and beers, and then sandwiches came out, and ice creams, and big bags of crisps, <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And then. The GNR, the local police, turned up. So they were trying to then sort out what was going on and get the traffic moving. And the guy came back and realised what was happening and that the GNR were there. And he tried to quickly jump in his car, reverse out of its face and drive away so that he wouldn't get a ticket. All of us who were sitting <laughs> in, the, in the terrace of this cafe then started shouting to the GNR, who were just behind the bus, so they couldn't see this guy. So everyone's shouting at them and going, no, he's there, he's there. <laughs> so they ran down the road and actually managed to catch up with him. And Oh, my so, Lord. Um, that is so, so funny. <laughs> we, we all <laughs> told the, you know, the GNR on him, and they managed <laughs> to, to stop him mm -hmm. and pull him off to a side road. All the people who was sitting at the on the terrace of the cafe, had to then quickly finish up their drinks and pick up their sandwiches and take them back onto the bus with them. Oh my god. So so the and, GNR and is the police. How do you the think the GNR is actually the National Guard. They're they're actually the army. Ah oh. but they are the the local police. I see. I they, see. They act as the okay. local police. Okay. So they do all the traffic violations okay. and things like that wow. there are another two three four branches of the police depending on how serious the crime is okay so they could have actually towed his car 
if if they want. they could they could have towed mm-hmm. his car. He probably got a substantial fine. Yeah, you know the the GNR are, are quite formidable. Mm. You know they walk around in a more military uniform than the police with guns with the sort of knee high boots. <laughs> Sometimes they're on horseback. We have a, a a GNR small GNR station in the village, and they're mm-hmm. often sort of standing around the corners just watching the main thing is parking because mm-hmm. the these two roads are so narrow okay. and even there's there's one other road which everyone refers to as restaurant hill and that's also quite busy with parking and stuff okay that's their main role so let's talk about housing let's make that our mm. top topic do you folks rent or buy we did we've done both okay. we arrived and went into a six-month rental and then went into another six-month rental. And in that second six months, we found the house that we wanted to buy, which we're still in now. We were really lucky the way it sort of happened. It's very, very difficult to get a rental here because most people who rent their properties want to rent through the summer when they can get maybe four or five times the amount of rent that they can get if they rent it annually. It's a big issue. It's a big issue for the local Portuguese, and it's a big issue for foreigners coming to live here. So the town must be packed in the summer with tourists, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. You you, you can't move. <laughs> yeah. So how do people go about finding rentals if it's so complicated? It, it's through an agent or? I know it's difficult for people moving across because... You really need to be on the ground. But if you don't have the right visa, you can come here for a, you know, a holiday, but you can't come for a substantial period of time. And it, and it does really help to be here because you might hear about something going that doesn't even get advertised. The easier places to find a rental is if you just go slightly inland. So our nearest city... <laughs> I say that, you know, it is a city as far as Portugal is concerned, but it's just a big town. Um, And our nearest one is Lagoa. And a lot of the people, the Portuguese who work in Carrero, like the restaurant workers and maids that do the cleaning of, you know, of all the villas and apartments, they would tend to live in Lagoa, slightly cheaper, slightly more availability. And Lagoa isn't somewhere that somebody would book for their holiday so that you don't have the competition oh. with the, the holiday makers. So oh, it's very residential. There is a, it is very residential. It's very Portuguese. Okay. There's a road that runs along the whole of the, the Algarve. It's called the M125. Okay. The 125 is the holiday maker bit. North okay. of the 125 is where you're going to find the better priced um, rental properties. If, say, you want to rent a place in Lagoa, do you know what the prices are these days, say, for a two-bedroom? We'd probably be looking around €600 a month. So that's not even that um, That's inexpensive, yeah. No, no, it's inexpensive to us, but if you're a worker. Ah. So, oh, as of today, the currency rate is quite equal. The euro, it's like a euro to US dollar and three. Yeah, so we're yeah. just going to say for the purposes of the show, it's, it's equal. It's almost one, one to one, one yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were saying it's about 600 euros for basically a two-bedroom apartment. What about where you are? If you could find something, mm. you would probably be looking more like a 1,000. Okay. And what Even is that? more, maybe 1,200. 
that would not normally include any bills. So it wouldn't normally include your utilities or anything like that. Our first rental when we came here was a, a house. It was a, a four-bedroom place with a pool. Mm. And then we paid a thousand a month. Mm-hmm. And that was just through the winter. So we stayed there from October till March or so. And then we moved to a really small one bed house. And at that point, I think we paid about 500 a month for this little one bed house. But we're talking a few years ago now. So the last few years, literally, probably the last two years, the, the prices of property to buy and to rent have shot up unbelievably. We constantly see places advertised and think, my goodness, you know, that house is three times what it would have been, say, five years ago. Wow. wow. Why, why do you think that is? Is the more people have discovered? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, th- I think it is. I think it's from what I read on on a lot of Facebook groups and a lot of ones of expats and people wanting to move here. I think there are just so many people wanting to move now. I saw something in the paper the other day. In September, we had the highest number of visitors from the States on holiday Wow! ever. It was like <laughs> over 200,000. 200, Holy. Yeah. That's, a, that's amazing. And, and I have to tell um, you, this is like, I think, our fifth episode on Portugal. It is continuously the highest downloaded or the highest listened to episodes people love portugal it, it's more than five but but the top, our top five downloads are all portugal yeah they're all <laughs> portugal so that may there be is, our home <laughs> <laughs> there is you know i see it all the time i see so many people wanting to move particularly from the the united states but from other places as well and i think a lot of it is that portugal is seen as being very peaceful, very laid back, very safe, not very overcrowded. We only have a population of 10, 11 million people. Right. You know, it's a long, thin country. In some ways, we're spread out a lot. (laughs) But around the coast, if you ever look at the sort of, you know, the Google Maps thing at night, you see exactly where the population is. Mm. And in the centre, there's a whole big dark area (laughs) (laughs) that's such a good point yeah a a lot of um the people that i've seen talking about moving are looking for maybe a a similar climate to what they're used to to what they already enjoy Mm -hmm. and so for some people that's the algarve who want the heat and it's not always hot i mean it's a, a little bit cooler today but if you go up to the north of portugal it's it's really quite different it's very green they do get a lot of rain. But if you're into that kind of outside, you know, your hobbies are sort of walking and running and nature and that sort of thing, then the north, either northwest or northeast corner. And they're places where it's still really reasonable, where you can still buy a property for, say, under 100000 Oh, Okay. And wow. and how far would that be from where you are, for example? Just just oh, as far. <laughs> are we talking? Yeah, as, as far as as far as you can get. I mean, you can get a train to Porto, which is almost at the Spanish border, not quite. It is a fast train. It's it's one of those that sways the Pendolino 
trains, but it it takes about six hours. Okay, to okay. get there from here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's go back a moment to um, home buying. You had mentioned that uh, you purchased a home as well at some time. Was it difficult for the two of you to find the home? It and was, I, and I know this way. isn't current. This is not current. So it was in a way because there were certain things that we wanted. We didn't want an apartment. We had two dogs. We didn't. We wanted somewhere with a, you know, some outside space for them. And we didn't want a, a a big house. There's only the two of us. We don't have any any kids. And we had gone from renting this four bed villa to renting this one bed. And actually, when we got into the one bed, we thought this is fine. Actually, we can we can do this. It had a garden. It had a fantastic sea view, which something we don't have now but <laughs> so it actually made us think you don't need why why, why do you need all these spare bedrooms you know right, right. and then this little one bedroom house came up for sale and it needed work and it was a bit run down in in some ways but it was in a good area you know that when you walk into a house most of the time you know yeah if you're going to yeah, buy it or yeah. not absolutely <laughs> the minute we saw it, we could see the possibilities. Mm. It had actually been built as a sales office for the little development where oh. we live. <laughs> and then once all the plots were sold, they converted it into a one-bedroom house. Ah, so it's, it's smart. really unique. It's circular. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah, which is fun when you're, you know, buying furniture and things. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. But it was just, it ticked a lot of boxes for us. And what kind of slightly swayed it for us is that when we pulled up outside, there was a dog lying on the front porch. And we said to the guy, "Is you know, is that your dog? Assuming he would take the dog with him. And he said, well, no, Barney's a street dog. He just sleeps on the porch there. Two elderly Portuguese people come and feed him every day. Well, most days. I can't take him with me because I'm going to be living on my boat when I sell the house. Strangely enough, only a month before, our second dog that we'd taken with us from England, we'd lost him very suddenly. For that month, that's the only month in the whole of my life that I've not had a dog. And we were just waiting until we got ourselves settled. We knew we were buying this house. We knew in a month's time we would be in. And then we would be looking to rescue a dog. And Barney came free with the house. Aww. Wow! Aww. So we we, we always said we don't we don't know if it was Barney's house first, really, and you know, <laughs> but we bought the house. Barney came with it. Oh, that's, that's a great, a great story. story. Yeah. Oh God! Do you know what the crying. the current housing prices are in your town? Yeah, they're quite crazy. You know, I saw, and they they're going so quickly. They don't stay on the market long. Right. I saw uh, a three bed detached with a pool, did have a good sea view, and it was close to the village. Everybody wants to be walking distance to the village, walking distance to the beach. Yeah. That's a huge <laughs> selling point. This house was on for 1.3 billion. 1.3 million? Yeah. Wow. No, nothing special. Mm-hmm. No, not sort of modern architecture design, just a standard. Three bedroom detached villa with a pool. Wow. Wow. That's a that lot. must be a nice pool. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So, and that was walking uh, distance to the center. Yeah, it was. And okay. to end to the beach, she said. Wow, I can't to believe town, it. The town, end to the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it seems that um, because it's so walkable and everyone seems so close, you've got very varying levels of income, I suppose. You know, you've got the 1.3, yeah. you've got the The people who've been there for 40 years. Yeah, the people who've been there a while. Don't have much. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's good to know. So where you live, are you, do you need a car? I do now because I'm disabled. Where we are, we, we used to be able to walk. Mm-hmm. The thing with Kovara is that everywhere is hills. You Where the beach is, that sort of, and the in and the out road that I talked about earlier, that's all flat. That's all walkable. But to go either side of the beach, as you said in the introduction, there it's a, a sta- sandstone cliff either mm-hmm. side of the beach, right. which means that as you go further out of town, you go up and up and up. And I'm just not physically able to do the hills mm-hmm. now but if that hill was level it would take us 10 minutes to walk into town oh wow it's a short distance then yeah i see yeah we're just on the outskirts okay so do you drive or is does Nick i do drive? yeah i so do able to drive. Um, okay i haven't driven for a while and i i'm not 100 percent sure if i will Mm. Again, it depends very much on a day-to-day basis how I how I am. Nick loves driving anyway. He's always been our kind of main driver. Mm-hmm. And he's not a big drinker. He's, you know, one beer with his meal and that's fine by him. So therefore he he tends to do all the driving anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. So if you could tell us, Karen, where do you buy food and groceries and so forth? We have a huge range of supermarkets, really. Our nearest is only about five minutes drive. Anyone who's actually living or staying in the the centre, there are some like small corner shop grocery Mm -hmm. stores. Mm -hmm. But to go to a big supermarket, there's one on the outskirts, which has been there for about 20 years, I think now. And then we've had in the last maybe five to 10 years, We've gradually had more. So within about 10 minutes drive, we've got one, two, three, at least four supermarkets. Oh, everything you need. Yeah, yeah. Do you purchase anything on Amazon? There there are some things we would get on Amazon, but the majority of of stuff we can get locally, really. Nice, Mm -hmm. nice. Okay. I always find it so interesting that we're here in New York. I use Amazon quite a bit. And I'm not that far from much of it. But, you know, when you need something specific, like a certain number paintbrush, it's so much easier. So so why why, why trek around? Well, on that um, note, is there something that you loved in England that you can't get in, in Portugal? Yeah, but some food stuffs that are more difficult. But there is a company who has opened up sort of English stores here. And I think there are about, four or five across the Algarve now. So the closest one to us is in Portimao, which is maybe 20 minutes drive, and they stock a lot of British food. The only problem we have now is post-Brexit, there are so many regulations about importing food Uh that actually now a lot of it comes from Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) Is it much different? Because Ireland... 
it's just different brands and you know slightly different things right but because ireland is still eu it's easy to transport yeah mm-hmm. but from from britain it, it is a lot i mean actually my husband nick is flying to england this week mm-hmm. staying with some friends because there was a few things i wanted for christmas that i couldn't get sent over here okay. and so he's going over with a sort of kind of empty case oh, and nice. uh, bringing, bringing some things so i had the things delivered to to our friends mm-hmm. and then he's going to go over and then bring them back wow oh. would you care to share one of the things you don't have to you don't have to because nick will be back when the show airs <laughs> no 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 don't tell us i see you're laughing <laughs> no no it's fine it's just it's just a bit embarrassing it's um beauty advent calendars I'm sorry? Beauty advent calendars. Oh, What's okay. That? The advent calendars. But you mean for the holidays? Yeah, so runs from the 1st of December up until the 24th or 25th. And every oh. day, mm-hmm. instead of opening and getting like a chocolate or something, mm-hmm. you get a little Makeup beauty or... thing. Oh. Yeah. You know, we have that in Trader, so... Trader Joe's has that. We have a store. Are they abroad? No, they're, they're, but they don't have they're not nationwide. cosmetics in it. They do. Really? They they one year had um I want to say one year they had creams. Well, maybe oh, okay. not makeup, but like uh moisturizers and things like that. Oh, that that's so funny. Yeah. That's great. It's, I can't believe you can't get that there. I'm shocked. That's so nice of him Ooh. though. Yeah, that is very nice of him and a whole suitcase full, boy. <laughs> okay. So, you know what? I want to go back Karen to amenities and utility, the the costs yeah. for internet. Uh, yeah. Can you give us a, an idea of that? The, the package that we have for the internet, there isn't so much choice here. Again, with a population of 10 million, you know, the, it's not a huge market for a, a lot of the big companies. We have Vodafone. We have uh, one called Noj. The, the main one is called Mio, and that is what was Portugal Telecom. It was like the, the national mm-hmm. um, company. And... They tend to do packages, so you get either just a phone line or a phone line and Wi-Fi or a phone line, Wi-Fi and TV channels or sure. uh, yeah. and a mobile phone, you know. Right. 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 And we actually have the full package. Mm-hmm. And you, we are paying probably maybe 120 or something a month. Oh, okay. Okay. That's, that's comparable. But that well, does yeah. include quite a lot of – well, we, we tend to use things like WhatsApp and – Right. You know, that don't rather than actual text messages and things like that. But it includes a lot of channels, a lot of TV channels, some Portuguese, some in English. They have like Fox channels, not necessarily the news, but the mm-hmm. Fox. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll show things like Modern Family and mm-hmm. or Sci Fi or. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's those kind of like American TV shows and some sure. British TV shows. So if you were um, to um, watch BBC shows, do you have to um, add that on or yeah, masterpiece theater and things like that? It's more difficult to get UK TV here. Oh, that's yeah, that, that can be quite challenging. What about other utilities like gas and electric? What's the prices of those? Well, in the Algarve, there is very little piped gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may get it if you live on a very modern development, and they might have their own gas storage. But the majority of houses here 
are all electric, except for if you have bottle gas. So we actually have bottle gas, which runs our hot water tank, and it also runs our hob on the on the cooker. But we have an electric oven. Everything else in the house is electric. We don't have central heating, but we do have, most houses have aircon, which can be heat or cool. Ah. So we use that for heating. Log burners are very, very popular. Virtually every house will have a log burner. So through the winter, the log burner will be on and we've got the aircon on heat back up. Is a log burner similar to a fireplace? It's a standalone. Oh, okay. I'm not not sure what what you. Oh, would is, call is it, it one of those small kind of? Oh, sorry. Is it? Yes, yes, that's oh, it. Yes. It's a black standalone. Yes, it's a small item. Okay. 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 Well, small compared to a large yes. fireplace, I guess. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So there's not many open fireplaces, except maybe in really old properties. But the majority will have. Either a standalone like that, or sometimes they're built into the wall. Mm-hmm. Yes, but right. um, using logs for heat is is really popular. Most people will get a ton or two ton of logs delivered at the beginning of the winter, and that will generally see them through. So we we don't actually have any other form of heating. So the 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 price of the gas bottles we don't use a lot because it's just the two of us, and it's only running the two things we might use one small gas bottle every four to six weeks and they were about nick buys them so he did tell me this the other day just discussing on how much they'd gone up they were about 20 something euros and then now maybe 30 something (gasps) 35 apparently they're a lot cheaper in spain so people who live on that side of Mm. the algarve there's quite a few things that are cheaper in Spain. So people will drive over into Spain hmm. and there is a, quite a big, big sort of hypermarket just over the border <laughs> and stock up on loads of things. But for us, by the time we would pay the fuel to drive all the way there and back, yeah, right. it's not really going to be so viable. <laughs> yeah. The electric, apparently, I don't find it that expensive, but apparently I've read that it's one of the the most expensive in Europe. We probably pay somewhere around a hundred, hundred and twenty a month. But obviously, the bigger the house, if you have underfloor heating, if mm-hmm. if you have a a heated swimming pool, all of those kind of things are going to bump up. You could be paying sure. three hundred a month. Right, that's closer. We're about two hundred, and we don't have a pool. <laughs> Let's move on to healthcare. Yeah. Is it easy to find a doctor and is there a hospital near town? How does that work? Getting a specific family doctor on the Portuguese system is not very easy at the moment. There aren't enough doctors to go around in the public system. Mm. But saying that, we have found, and we between us, my family have had, because my my parents moved out here with us as well. Oh, wow. Um, And my mum is still with us. My dad died in 2016, but my mum's still here. Between us, we've used the public system and the the private system. Our nearest, well, we have a a small healthcare place in Cavuero. There is a larger one in Lagoa. There is a hospital in Portimao, which, as I said earlier, is about 20 minutes drive. The the Barlavento Hospital is where 
you would go for like an emergency. The little clinics is where you would go just for a regular appointment and blood tests and prescriptions and all that kind of thing. Nick and I have always used a private system. We don't have insurance. It, that is something that you need now if you're coming in as a, you know, if you're moving here now as part of the D7 visa, you do need health insurance. But when we came, we didn't need it. And we're we're inscribed into the local system. But there is so much private healthcare here and it is so affordable that we have always just found it easier. And we have a clinic just more or less at the end of our road and a really nice He's actually a German guy who's the doctor there. And a consultation is probably then a private one is going to cost you probably somewhere between 30 and 50 euros. Oh, that's great. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah. I've had two private surgeries and I've had one on the public state system. I had the, the private ones. I had a hysterectomy and I've also had my varicose veins done. And those two operations each cost me around five or six thousand euros. All right. That's like uh, So that gives you an idea of yeah. what the private yeah. health care costs. That's not bad. Oh that's compared not bad. To, compared yeah. to the US anyway. Right, right. Yeah. Remember when you and I saw the same private doctor? Just a regular oh, yeah, annual yeah. visit. Four hundred dollars. Four hundred dollars an hour. And she didn't take any insurance. Ten years ago. But we <laughs> loved her. Loved her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So People are able to have serious surgery, and it sounds like it's very fair. The doctor's yeah. fees are not bloated, right? And it's simple. No. Yeah, you don't have to go through all this process so, of trying to get different doctors for different specialists, but, which are hard. But when you use the public system and have an operation in the hospital, is that free or does it still cost you? I was in hospital for 10 days. I had this major spinal surgery. It was a few years ago now. This is why I'm I'm now disabled. Mm -hmm. And people say, oh, so did the operation not work? No, the operation did work. He, and my consultant says, I operated to stabilize your spine, not to take away your pain. And so I am metal rods from roughly kind of bra strap level all the way down. Wow. So I can't bend, I can't twist, I can't lift anything, I can't stretch. Mm -hmm. Sitting is really uncomfortable. So this is unusual for me to actually be sitting. I'm sitting in a wheelchair and I've got various cushions behind me and oh, under me. Sorry. And that's the only way I, I can comfortably sit. Mm -hmm. And also the, the wheelchair is at an angle mm -hmm. because I can't sit right upright. Mm -hmm. It has to be just at the right sure. kind of angle. So I don't sit. Um, I have an electric bed here, and that's where I spend most of my time. But when I went to have this surgery, I'd gone to a private physio. I'd give you the full story. I had a scoliosis, so a curvature of the spine, okay. which right. was diagnosed when I was about 11 or 12. But the doctors at that point thought it was very dangerous to operate on me, and they just said, no, we don't want to touch it. Uh, they didn't, however, say, don't do this, don't go on roller coasters. So I just, you know. Oh. <laughs> Lived the life of did, a child, yeah. yeah. Did everything. And then I got to about 42 and went to stand up from the computer one day and I couldn't walk. That was in about February. We spent the whole summer going to physios, going to different, you know, trying different things. And then my physio 
diagnosed me and she said, you need to see a, a neurologist, a, a neurosurgeon. So we went with a, a private appointment to this guy in Faro, and he works in Faro and in Lisbon. He looked at my MRI, said, wow, this needs surgery. Do you have insurance? We said, no. And he said, I can't tell you how much this is going to cost. It could be 25, could be 40, whatever. Apparently, I have 10,000 euros worth of titanium in my spine. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I know. Nick says, you know, if things get too tough, he'll weigh me in for scrap. <laughs> so... <laughs> I was going to say, you're like a plane. <laughs> oh. oh, tell Nick so, that we're, gonna, we're missing his humor. <laughs> so this guy wasn't my favorite uh, doctor that I've ever met, but he did say, look, you need this surgery. I'm going to put you on my list for my Lisbon hospital, and I'm going to push you to the top of the, the waiting list. So. We went up to Lisbon. We registered with his the hospital, the state hospital that he works in. A couple of months later, I was up there having the surgery. And I was in for about 10 days. I was in theatre from 8.30 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night. <gasps> and at the end of it, when I came to be discharged, I think we had to pay something like 50 euros. Oh, my what? goodness. Five oh? 50 euros, that's yeah. it. <laughs> For over 12 hours of surgery. Oh, yeah. Wow. And then 10 days. And 10 days. Of 10 days in hospital with right. physio and medication. Wow. And, you know. So he's a private everything. physician, but he also practices in the state hospital. So you had he the best both. of both worlds. In a world. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, they, there, and there is this no, mm -hmm. nominal charge. Again, that was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. It may have gone up slightly, but it's it's not going to have changed an awful lot. Mm -hmm. And they also have a thing here where if you're waiting for something, say like a, a new knee or a hip replacement, if you're on the, the list for the public hospital for longer than a certain period of time, could be six months or nine months or something, they will put you into a private hospital to get it done. Wow. I know people who that has happened to. And that's for the same public rate, but it's at the private hospital. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's great. It's very and, mindful to consider the patient that way. And what do you need to qualify for this for this public health care program? Well, you need to be a legal resident. Okay. Okay, so that's where the, the visa comes in that, once you have your D7 visa now, you're then able to come to Portugal. I think you can stay for something like four months. But before you even come, before you even set foot, you have to have accommodation sorted. So you have to have a 12-month rental contract. You have to have health insurance. You have to have uh, a bank account. You have to prove that you have enough money to support yourself because mm -hmm. the D7 doesn't allow you to work here. So you have to have, it's mostly for people who are either retired and have some retirement you know, pension income or sort of digital nomads who are working, but working online overseas. You can't actually work in Portugal. But once you get here, you then have an appointment with the SEF, which is, they deal with 
they're called the service de strangeros and border the border agents they're the the foreign office they're just dealing with all the strangeros foreigners you have an appointment with them and then they can issue you with a one year residencia and then you can renew that twice more so by then you'll have lived here five years and after that you can actually apply for citizenship but I once see. you've got your one year residencia and you're a you know a legal person living here then you can go onto the state system wow okay. so i see the d7 requires well as of october 2022 8460 euros a year oh a year that's income good. yeah for one income. person yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. but for mm-hmm. the the second person it's it's about half that okay Okay. okay, so that's that's very doable. So if you're coming as a couple, right, ten to twelve thousand euros, I think, is enough. The more okay. you have, obviously, right, the better right. your chances <laughs> of getting sure. it. Sure, but that's the minimum because the minimum wage here in Portugal, and that's what they base it on, is currently something like seven hundred a month. Yes, yes, exactly. I see here six six sixty five to seven oh five. Very good. So in the yeah. D and the D yeah. seven is what the well, is what most retirees use to get into Portugal, I assume, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a, the, the most common way, but it's mm-hmm. it's quite, a, I think I get the impression it's quite a stressful thing. And this is where we come back to the, the housing because there is so much competition because you have to have that in place before. I know. You, it's, the, it's the catch-22. You come over. Uh-huh. And so... There are so many people chasing just to have a property, just to have an address. I've seen people are literally buying properties they've not seen. Wow. Or take taking out a 12-month rental contract on a property they haven't seen purely to be able to apply for the D7. Interesting. Wow. And it's interesting that the golden visa, which you need to buy property for, I'm told, as of January of 2022, for, for buying residential property in Lisbon, Porto, and the Silver Coast, and in the Algarve, no longer qualify for the Golden Visa. However, investors can qualify for the Golden Visa if they purchase prop- residential property in interiors, interior parts of the country. Yeah. And we talked to you before we were on air, and you mentioned that it may be that you can buy commercial property. But I think anybody yeah. who who's thinking of that should really look into it and per- perhaps consult the lawyer because the law changed recently and, and seems to change quite frequently. So they really should consult an expert when they when thinking about anything like that. Is that correct? I would say so, because not only do they change the areas, they change the amount that you need to invest. The golden visa is more for someone who doesn't actually want to live in Portugal, whereas the D7 is for someone who is going to is planning on moving here and setting up home here. But the golden visa is a lot less strict about how many days a year you have to be in Portugal. So it's a something that they brought out, you know, a few years ago and it has gone through several changes in that time. If you're listening to this podcast even in six months' time or a year's time or something, it could be completely different. But right. I know that because the Algarve and Lisbon, Porto, Silver Coast, those are the places where everyone wants to be. And so that's why they had to take them out because, it, again, <laughs> just pushing up the prices. Yeah. And so they're, they're pushing people more into the, the interior. 
there are lots of lovely little places and villages and things that really could do with investment mm. and even people you know <laughs> yeah and, but if you're everyone, a foreigner it doesn't make it very desirable you know you're going there because of all the things you imagine the things you've read about and seen and and you go to the middle you're not near the water and yeah, i suppose you, you could be anywhere nobody Just, speaks english <laughs> that's going to be nice though in, in a future episode we're gonna we're gonna interview somebody who moved to the interior <laughs> and we're gonna see what he says go okay all right gene so it's a couple what they say <laughs> or we'll be the uh the guinea pigs. Yeah, I think he loves it. So we'll we'll see. I think some of these places can be really quaint and right, right. People are still lovely. Oh, yeah, so. we're, we're covering the circumference. So okay. very good. All right, let's move on. Say you want to um, leave the Algarve for a little while. Is it where's the nearest airport? Is that Faro? Faro is yeah. For us, it's about a forty-five minute drive. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, but you have to factor in if a bus stops, <laughs> and uh, or a car stops, <laughs> or someone wants to get out and take photos of the scenery. Which <laughs> there there must be rules that they cannot do that. Are there cameras that can you know watch what people are doing? Well, they that's a major the, artery. They can park on the side as long as they don't stick out in the middle and block right. the bus. But how much side <laughs> is there, Karen? I mean, you were at a restaurant, but is there quite enough side space? That's really just in the center of our little village. Mm -hmm. um, if we're going to go to the airport, we're going to go on what they call a motorway, even though it's it's only two lanes, but it is called a motorway. Mm -hmm. And it's the A22. And so once you get on there, you're, you're not stopping. You're just going. Okay, so it's a different road. And there's the very Faro, different road. Very different from, road. From the Faro Airport, are there a lot of nonstop flights? Can you go to, to Britain from Faro nonstop? Yeah. And it's you only can, about you a three-hour, right? A three-hour flight? Or yeah, something? yeah. You can go all over Europe. If you're going to go you know, back to the States, say, or to Brazil or somewhere else, you're probably going to go from Lisbon. But you can fly from Faro to Lisbon or and Faro to Porto. How, how long is that flight? Like an hour? Yeah. 45 minutes to an hour. Mm. Or the trains, the intercity trains are fantastic. You can get a train from the Algarve to Lisbon and then Lisbon up to Porto. When my dad was in hospital in Porto, we used the train a lot. They have the high-speed trains or the, the normal ones that stop at every station. Mm. Uh, but they are so reasonable. I mean, a first-class ticket to Lisbon from the Algarve is something like 25 or 30 euros. Very nice. And it's a brilliant service. The public transport is not brilliant around the villages. We do have a bus service. We have a bus hmm. that goes up to Lagoa and then from Lagoa you can go all along the Algarve. Huh. It's kind of, you know, it can be quite slow. And if you're in a city like Lisbon and Porto, they both have an underground system. So that's very easy to get around. And the, the connections between Lisbon and Porto and the Algarve are, are really good. And in fact, between Lisbon and Porto is going to get even faster. Soon there are plans for uh, to speed that mm. line of track up. And possibly a train line going across into Spain, which at the moment we don't have. Let's move on. How would you say Carvero has changed in recent years? It's gentrifying. I think, along with the sort of increase in prices, that's obviously attracting a different type of person. We're probably seeing more young families moving here, whereas before it was it tended to be older, you know, retirees. 
schools are very good. There are international schools. And I've known children who got, went straight into the Portuguese system and absolutely flourished. Within six months, you know, they were practically fluent because it is a really difficult language to learn it is. Yeah. as an adult. Yeah, we can't if even you can do it. the city. <laughs> <laughs> the, there is that sort of change into probably more people here all year round. So the winters aren't as quiet. They are quiet compared to the summer, obviously, but not as quiet. And we have got recently, we've had probably half a dozen restaurants that are much more high end. And I can see some already have a Michelin star and I can see the others are looking for Michelin stars. So how much is you, a meal at one of these expensive places, would you say? We went to one of them a few months ago. You could be looking, there was three of us went and it was around 200 euros. Okay. Well, that that's right, actually. That's similar to here. That's, yeah. But, you know. I know, it's not every day. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, this was for my birthday, but the kind of normal standard mm -hmm. restaurants in the village, you can still probably eat for 25, 30 euros a head. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they must be restaurant, little cafes that have the lunch deal, right? What's the, what's the lunch yeah, deal yeah. called in Portugal? Yeah, the Prato de Dia. Yes. Plate of the day. Loads of restaurants. Again, more inland because mm -hmm. the tourists aren't really looking for the Prato de Dia type menus on the whole, some do, but the Prato de Dia are always good value. It could be 750, maybe 10 euros a head, and it's going to include a cover, bread, butter. You always get marinated carrots here for some reason. And I, I really don't like carrots, but marinated <laughs> carrots are a big thing in the alcohol. Oh, really? Um, I love carrots. <laughs> I love carrots. It's interesting. As long as they're not pickled. No, they're um, marinated, they're cold. Oh, they've got herbs. It's almost like salady type. Huh, so they often come out with the bread and butter. But then <laughs> there'll be a, a plate of the day. It could be if you might get a choice of a fish and a meat. Vegetarians are getting better for being catered for, but it's still I wouldn't expect a crowded deer place necessarily to have a, a vegetarian right. option. But it'll be something like chicken puri puri, or it might be spare ribs, or sometimes that'll include a dessert or a coffee as well. They are really good value. Yeah, that works for me. I'm getting hungry, Gil. It's almost brunch. It's almost brunch time for us. I wanted to ask about the weather. Do you need yeah. the aircon most of the year, or what? What's what's the weather like? I think the hottest months are surprisingly. It can be the end of May into June, and then July. By the time you get to around the middle of August, it does start to cool slightly. So the evenings start to get a bit cooler. Uh, some parts of the Algarve, it's really windy even in the in the summer. We're protected a bit by those cliffs either side of the beach. So we don't really tend to get, we get a nice breeze right. off the sea. This year, we had a few days of extremely hot weather. So it was around 38, 40 degrees, which I'm not quite sure what that is, but I think it's around getting towards 100. 90 something here. For you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that can be tough. Yeah. Luckily, because I don't have to do anything or be anywhere, lie with the aircon and I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> the winters I love. 
It's quiet, but not too quiet. I like the change of season and we do still have the change of seasons. It does get cooler. We've only just started using a bit of heating and we're now kind of like halfway through November. It's warm really until the end of September, sometimes into the middle of October. Depends. Then we can have quite a blustery, stormy time as the seasons change. One year we had a tornado which went straight from the sea past our house about 200 metres away. Oh my goodness. Went through Lagoa and through to the next town which is called Silvers and they they have a a small sort of football ground and it tore down all the sort of advertising things that they have up there. But that's only one year in the time we've been here. We do have earthquakes fairly often. In fact, we do have earthquakes probably several every day. We just don't feel them. Oh, all right. I felt, I think, three since we've been here. And were they like serious um, trembling or did things fall off the walls? No, it's no. They've all just been as a heavy truck had just driven past. Mm. Okay. Or you're if you're on the underground and the train's just cu- coming in, or you know, just that rumbling mm, mm, sort okay. of sound. For us, that's every day. Um, Gene, for us in Brooklyn, that's every day. Oh my day. goodness! <laughs> we're we're near a big bridge, the Verrazano Bridge. We always hear that, especially at night. You can hear the trucks going across. Yeah. Oh, so it looks like Portugal would be easy for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you fit right in. Sure, on the sure. Weather, yeah, but I yeah. can't. It's always pleasant. A, a lot of the time, when it rains, it rains at night. We are desperate for rain at the moment. That happens. That we have years where we have less mm-hmm. rain than others. But even you know, November, December, January, you can be sitting outside having lunch no wow. problem oh, that's great christmas day you can be sitting out it could rain but it could also be nice enough that you can sit outside and have christmas dinner in the garden oh wow, that's wonderful right. speaking of christmas is the town getting all festive and it's not even thanksgiving yet well oh well they don't have thanksgiving but it's not yeah. even the end of november See, yet it's not quite as early it does seem to get earlier each year but it's not quite as early as it happens in Britain and America. We, we've been in America around Thanksgiving and mm. uh, Black Friday and stuff. <laughs> so I remember what that was like. We actually travelled one day on Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and it was the best day to travel. Yeah, everyone's home. Anyone was, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. the, the airport was great. We got straight out. Yeah, I you have the nice sunny days in the winter a lot of the time. But then in the evening it's cool enough that we need the, the log fire. And the so you have the coziness as well. Yeah. So you, you have both in one day. Right. So that's why I really love the winters. That sounds wow, so nice. That's wonderful. It's a very short summer, it seems. You know, it's like two and a half months and right. Even with climate change, the weather being crazy as it is, um, that sounds very nice. You've helped rescue a lot of dogs and cats. Has that changed your yeah. life in the Algarve? Has that affected you a lot? It's not something we we ever planned to do. We've always been animal lovers. We, and like I said earlier, I've always had dogs. We'd never had cat until we came here. And in our very first rental, one small kitten kept coming round. And I was terrified that our dogs were going to hurt her. Mm-hmm. So she, she kept coming round. We started feeding her. But I kept her on a separate terrace and kept the dogs inside when she was on the terrace. Then she came and started sleeping on there. We thought, okay, this is going to be a problem with the dogs. And then one day the back door was open and she walked around and she marched into the kitchen, threw into the living room. Both the dogs were in the living room. She walked straight past them, tail up, jumped up onto the sofa, started washing herself. Oh my God. And the dogs were 
<laughs> we don't know what to do. We've never seen a cat this close. We've never seen a cat that didn't run away. Oh my God. And they just were shocked. Yeah. And that was it. She stayed. Wow. Um, and we we only lost her about two years ago. She oh. was 18. Wow. She wasn't actually a kitten when we got her. She, she was a cat. But after that, two kittens came around. And one of them, we noticed, like the week before Christmas, we noticed that his eye was really badly infected. And it, mm. it was so big, he couldn't close his eyelids over. Mm. So I had to try and catch him. He was totally feral. That's a whole mm. other story. <laughs> Got him to the vet. They had to remove his eye. Oh, wow. So then we had to keep him inside for 10 days while his stitches healed. And we were worried that him and his brother would forget each other because they were always together. Mm. So we started bringing the brother in at night. <laughs> to spend time with him and then let him out during the day so they both stayed and then when we moved to our second rental I found a, a kitten just sitting in the garden one day and the garden was surrounded by probably at least six or eight foot walls I had no idea how this kitten got in there we thought people were following us you. around and, yeah. and dropping kittens yeah. <laughs> they heard about and you. then we rescued yeah and then we rescued another one that was trapped in a, a, a basement of a, a property and she stayed and then it just happened and then somebody asked me would I bottle feed my parents found a kitten that needed bottle <laughs> no, feeding your parents yeah like you didn't have enough that is hilarious and then I had to learn I was on YouTube learning how to bottle feed and you need to help wow. them to pee and poo at that age because they can't do it themselves oh normally God, their mothers patience. you have would patience do it. yeah, yeah. So it just happened. People would call us and say, I found this kitten, I found this puppy. Sometimes I have to say it's my fault that I've answered a, a plea on Facebook. We found these puppies, you know, that need, oh, right, okay. I've written more about this in my second book. I've, that's a lot of animal stories in the second book. Okay. Uh, the first book just goes up to when we got Barney. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. Now, talking about the book. So you, Karen Tellen, have written two books about li living in Carvero. And yeah. they both have the word paradise in the title. The first one is Another yeah. Day in Paradise. And the second one yeah. is A Little Piece of Paradise. Why do you equate Carvero with paradise? The the first title is kind of, it's a kind of double-edged sword. It is paradise in lots of ways, but there are the days when you're dealing with the bureaucracy here and the finances or you get a letter and because I'm the one that speaks Portuguese, I have to translate these letters and stuff. And it's like, ah, oh, another day in paradise, you know? So it's a slightly <laughs> ironic. Oh, it's that kind of paradise. Yeah. yeah. Some days. Right. <laughs> Some days it's just today is another day in paradise. So it was, it was just like a little bit, something that we've said over the years. Oh yeah, another day in paradise. Great. <laughs> you know? And I only plan to write the one book. Mainly because there was a couple of people who were really, really kind to me when I did when I had my back surgery, and I wanted to kind of pay tribute to them and how kind most Portuguese people really are. And at a time when I was really vulnerable, they one in particular just took a huge weight off my shoulders and mm. just organised everything for me. And wow. the other one was a guy I was flat on my back and with you know the the bed trays that you have in hospital, and my food was like up 
up here. I couldn't even mm. see what I was eating. Right. And they would give me a whole fish with the head, the bones, everything. Mm. Wow. And I was only in a room of two people and an older woman, Portuguese, next to me. And her kids would come to visit. And one of her sons, who was in maybe in his 30s, noticed that I couldn't eat Nick had had to come back to the Algarve, look after the animals. So I was there alone, no visitors. He just looked across one day and he said, do you need some help? Yes, please. So he went, washed his hands, came, sorted all the fish out for me, put the bones on one side and said to me, okay, all of this bit you can eat. So I can literally just... Oh, wow. And then the rest of my stay... Every day he would come in and not even ask me. He would automatically come in, say hello to his mum, say hello to me, go over, wash his hands, see what I had for dinner that day oh. and sort it all out for me. Oh, that's and oh, he was, so sweet. And just chatting away all the time to me, to his mum, you know, how are you today? Did you have physio today? You know? And that was just, you know, you're helpless there in bed. So completely flat on my back. I wasn't able to move. I wasn't even able to turn over and he did that for me and then the other guy is too much of a, a story to tell you but he was he was an absolute superstar so i only planned to do the the first book and then if you know quite a few people to my surprise said how am i now how many animals do we have now? What's happened to certain animals? And would I write a sequel? And so I, I, I did. I didn't think I had enough material. Books have the same word count virtually. And so That's that wonderful. came out. And I chose Our Little Piece of Paradise for that title because that book starts immediately the d day after the first oh. book ends ah. when we've moved into the house. And so it was just after renting, Nick hated being in a, a, a rental, not being able to do anything to yeah. it. Yeah. or whatever yeah. so it was the point that we'd actually bought our own home and we were moving back into what was our own home and so that's why i chose to call it our little piece of paradise that is so that's wonderful. That's a great story, that's yeah. great, Karen. Oh, thank you for sharing that. You speak Portuguese fluently, did I hear you say? I wouldn't say fluently, but I, I had to learn it because I took citizenship. Ah. So I had to do an exam in Ooh. Portuguese to get citizenship. I already spoke a bit, enough to get by, but I had to study. When Brexit happened, it was actually our lawyer said to me, you know, you, sh you should go for citizenship. And I hadn't thought about it. And I looked at what it entailed and it was this exam. I thought maybe you had to go as part of a college or, and I couldn't go every week and sit, you know, in a class. Mm -hmm. But they said, no, you can just apply to do the exam on your own. So this was about May and the next exam was going to be in October. So I put myself up for it. And then I spent the summer teaching myself, then headed off and, and it's, it's a, a difficult exam. It takes a whole day. But yeah, I passed. So That's there's great. an oral portion, I assume. And there's a, a written. Mm -hmm. And when someone speaks fast, which to Ooh. them it's irregular, you can understand. That's amazing. Yeah. That was the the most difficult. I knew the listening part would be the most difficult for me. And it really was. And it was a really bad quality tape. And it was um, multiple choice answers. Mm. But there would be a question that would have something, say, like about a dog in it, but all the answers would have dog in oh, them. So you course. couldn't just say, oh, I, I heard the word dog. So therefore that, you know, you had to know, did the dog run away? Did the dog? But it, it starts off with reading and writing. Then it goes on to spoken. Uh, then it goes on to listening. 
and then that's then it's lunchtime. Some people didn't come back in the afternoon if they knew that they hadn't done well in the morning. Mm. They just went. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. In the afternoon, we're paired up with another student. And I was paired up with a Spanish guy. So I could hardly understand his Portuguese because of his Spanish accent. He probably couldn't understand mine because of my British accent. You then talk, you know, one-to-one with an invigilator. And it's all recorded and gets sent up to Lisbon and it's all marked up there. And so they ask you to talk about yourself. They ask you to choose a topic, um, you know, a, a day, best day of my life or whatever. Then we had to talk to each other, me and the Spanish guy. Wow. And they gave us a scenario and said, okay, you're going to arrange a picnic and you've got to decide where you're going to have the picnic and who's going to mm-hmm. be coming and what food are you going to have Whoa. and who's going to bring what food. And we had discussions about things like English pork pies and sandwiches and things. And he's talking about Spanish frittatas. And <laughs> oh, this is nothing like the U.S. exam. No. <laughs> and and did Nick take was, it as well? No. This is the thing. Oh yeah. So long he as you now, are. Yeah, he can. He could now apply if he, if he wanted to. But the the interesting thing is that there is none of the sort of history or knowledge of the government or anything ah, like that right like who's, no the, who's the 46th president you know <laughs> right yeah. interesting yeah that's none of that it's oh. purely language and do you need to speak portuguese in your town no oh, no. in fact in some shops and uh restaurants if you speak portuguese they'll reply in english which is really really annoying really <laughs> but i do i do have some friends who don't really speak english so they make me. I have to speak to them in Portuguese. <laughs> but if there's two of them together and then I'm there as well, then it's it's really hard. <laughs> but where you live, are there a lot of expats? There's a lot of everybody. There's uh, yeah, there's lots of British. There's lots of German, Dutch, mm-hmm. Belgian. Wow. So uh, for, a lot of so, French have come over. Yeah. Recently. So for those who are not able to learn the language they're able to get by obviously yeah Yeah. okay yeah i mean like in the tourist areas all the menus will be in portuguese and english and german and french probably if you go in land a bit it gets a bit harder Mm -hmm. but even when when i was in lisbon and i was speaking portuguese and i thought i was you know doing quite well somebody said to me oh you live in the algarve and i said yeah yeah i do and he went (gasps) I can tell. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, that is interesting. You have an accent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was definitely not a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's like when you went to order Chinese food. That place you were speaking Chinese, oh. and, and the woman told you to speak English. <laughs> and then, and then Gillen told me and our son that we could never order from them again. He banned us from the place. <laughs> I mean, here I am trying, and I didn't think my Chinese was was uh, was that bad. She was just so impatient, and she was like, "Can you please speak English?" I'm like, "Jesus, <laughs> you're how rude. I remember never eating from them again." <laughs> okay, well, listen. On that note, Karen, telling you are lovely. I love all your stories. You have been very, very kind, very kind with spending all this time with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and, and so interesting. Yeah, have yeah. we missed anything? Any last words you'd like to add? 
I don't I don't think so. I think just just that the Portuguese in general as a, a as a people are just so welcoming, so kind. And it, it, it was this feeling of the kindness of strangers that made me want to write initially the bit about my back and then it sort of went off into the book. But considering they, they've had such an, an invasion, really, of foreigners since the 60s, 70s, and then much more from the 80s onwards, they don't seem, there's no resentment, there's no, you know, there's no animosity between them and us. As in the examples I've given, you know, if they can go out of their way to help you, they will. That's wonderful. Okay, that gives me a warm, fuzzy feeling. <laughs> to end. All right. Well, thank you again, and we'll be in thank touch. You. Thank you for asking me. Oh, please. It was our pleasure. Our pleasure I'm yes. so glad we met. All right, take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. Be well.